Welcome back to the Parbar Podcast. This is episode 19. What is not so good about the Legacy Standard Bible? Now, this is more of a discussion of what's not so good about most English translations of the Bible. Most of what I have to say here is not isolated to the Legacy Standard Bible, and so I cannot rightly chastise the translation committee because as I read to you read, as I read to you in the previous episode about the Legacy Standard Bible, they did indeed leave themselves in out. They made room for inconsistency in their translation philosophy if they deemed it necessary to do so, or for the sake of traditional translations. You can go back and listen to that episode, which is number 16. All right, well, what are some of my gripes with the Legacy Standard Bible? I want to start large and narrow down to some of the nitty-gritty. So, for example, uh, the English, this is sort of like in the last episode, how what was good, how on a large scale they translated Lord to Yahweh. That's very good. But also, what's not so good is that they left the translation whole burnt offering as whole burnt offering. The English translation there is incorrect and it should be abandoned. This is one of those traditional translations that the Legacy Standard Bible stuck with, rather than translating accurately. The Hebrew word that our Bibles translate as whole burnt offering is the Hebrew word olah, which simply means to ascend. This is the offering of ascension. This is, uh, it is, it is indeed burned up, that's true, but the purpose of the sacrifice is to image the ascension of the worshiper into God's presence. We miss that when we change the meaning of the Hebrew word to whole burnt. We think that the purpose of this sacrifice is to be totally consumed by fire. Well, it is. It is to be totally consumed by fire so that the offering can rise in smoke into the glory cloud of God. The goal of worship is to ascend into God's presence. And that is missed when we mistranslate this offering. The same Hebrew word is used in the Psalms of Ascent. It's the same word that's used there, but we do not translate the Psalms of, of Ascent as the Psalms of Whole Burnt Offering. To be consistent, the Legacy Standard Bible should translate the same word the same way. But again, this is not just a problem with the Legacy Standard Bible. Another big picture gripe is that in Ecclesiastes, the Legacy Standard Bible abandons their consistency. Ecclesiastes does not say, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That is a mistranslation. The Hebrew word is the word for vapor or for mist. You see, the problem with the world in Ecclesiastes' point of view is not that the world is vain, but that it is vapor. A man can build his kingdom, but his son can tear it down. You don't know what people will do with your things after you die. It is vapor. It's trying to plan for the future where you're told is like shepherding the wind. The only one who can guide the world is God, and man must trust him to do what is right. And when we do that, we can enjoy our wife, we can enjoy our labor, and we can rest. Ecclesiastes is not about the vanity of the world. But again, this is not just the Legacy Standard Bible. This is nearly in every English translation. Another issue is the way that the LSB conflates the Greek word cosmos, which you may know is the English word for world, and the Greek word oikumene, which might be new to you, but it is the Greek word woodenly, uh, the economic house, or what we would say would be the empire. 
The LSB translates oikumene correctly, for example, in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Now it happened, this is uh, the birth narratives of Jesus. Now it happened that in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus for a census to be taken of all the inhabited earth, or land. That phrase, the inhabited earth, or land, is oikumene. Now Augustus did not decree a census over the cosmos. He did not have control of the entire world. The entire world did not have to pay tribute to him in taxes, but only those within the bounds of his empire, over the economic house of which he is the head. He wanted a count of the empire of Rome so he could receive tribute. Now that same word, oikumene, is used in Matthew 24, where Jesus is prophesying that Jerusalem and the temple will be destroyed. And the disciples ask, when will that happen? And Jesus responds in part by saying in verse 14, The gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in the whole world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. That phrase there, the whole world, is not cosmos, but oikumene. Jesus is telling the disciples and that generation of the Jews that the temple in Jerusalem would be destroyed when the gospel of his kingdom is preached throughout the reaches of the Roman Empire, the oikumene. Then the end would come. Well, the end of what? The end of the world? Well, no, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the end of the Old Covenant, the end of the temple. And this is indeed what we see happens in the book of Acts, where the apostles are traveling across the whole oikumene, preaching the gospel, predominantly Paul, and they are upsetting the empire. In Acts 17.6, we read this very memorable phrase. Uh, when the city is looking for Paul and Silas, we read, And when they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brothers before the city authority, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here also. Again, the word world is not the word cosmos, but oikumene. The apostles are being brought up on charges for causing disturbances in the Roman Empire. Other places that the oik that Okumene is trans mistranslated is in Acts 19.27, where we are told that Artemis of the Ephesians is worshipped in all the world. Well, no, she wasn't. <laughs> but she was worshipped in the Oikumene, the Roman Empire. See also Acts 11.28 concerning, concerning a famine, not over the cosmos, but over the Roman Empire, the Oikumene. Now also remember, Jesus said he would come back and destroy Jerusalem and the temple in judgment, when the gospel went through the oikumene in Matthew 24, 14, he is not talking about the end of the cosmos, the end of history, the end of the world. Then in Acts, 9, Acts 17, verses 30 to 31, we read that Paul is speaking in the Areopagus. It's the great center of philosophy, the great thinking place in the Roman Empire, where everyone got together to talk about philosophy and new ideas. And Paul says this, calling all the Gentiles there to repentance. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now commanding, that, commanding men that everyone everywhere should repent, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he determined, having furnished proof to all by raising him from the dead. And again, that word, world, is not cosmos, but oikumene. There is indeed a fixed day in which Jesus will come back in judgment over the world, as 1 Corinthians 15 talks about. But what Paul is talking about here is the judgment in the oikumene, when he tears down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, when he brings an end to the old covenant world and destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem. It's the same judgment Paul's talking about in Acts 17 that Jesus was talking about in Matthew 24. 
By mistranslating or conflating oikumene and cosmos, we start to build up false prophecies and expectations in our minds. For example, how many of us have ever heard a missions conference use Matthew 24:14 as a reason to fund missions work? Because, after all, the sooner we bring the gospel to every unreached people group, the sooner Jesus will come back. But that is not what Jesus said. That is not how the book of Acts applies what Jesus said. But our English translations miss this. The Legacy Standard Bible got it right in Luke chapter 2, but they fumble the ball every other time the word shows up. Okay, how about some more in those nitty-gritty examples? Well, in Genesis 25-27, we read in the Legacy Standard Bible that Jacob is a peaceful man. But that's not what the word in Hebrew is. The word in Hebrew is perfect. Jacob is a perfect man. It is the same word that is used for Job. Just as Job is a perfect man, so is Jacob. Jacob is a perfect man. What we find here in Genesis 25-27 is not a translation, but an interpretation which is something that the preface to the Legacy Standard Bible said they would try to avoid. We find in Genesis 3.3 that God is walking in the cool of the day, which is a traditional translation and not an accurate one. The Hebrew says that God came in the spirit of the day. The word cool is not even there. Maybe one more. Judges chapter 5 verse 2 is another traditional translation, but not an accurate one. This is the song of Deborah. After, after that she sang after Jael slammed a tent peg through the head of Sisera. We read these words. When the leaders led in Israel. But the text actually says, when the locks were loosed in Israel. Which is a reference to the hair of the Nazarites, who are holy warriors on behalf of God. I'm sure there are others, like refusing to translate James appropriately in the New Testament, the name James is the Greek word Jacobus, Jacob, which has more biblical import and connections than the name James, which isn't found in Greek or Hebrew. But let me say again that these are not problems isolated to the Legacy Standard Bible. These are problems given over to most English translations because of tradition or misinterpretation of prophetic eschatological expectations or interpretation over translation. I mean, how many Genesis commentaries would agree that Jacob was a perfect man. None of this is to say that the translators are intentionally misleading, or that there's any sort of malfeasance going on. Consider this as my enthusiastic thumbs up to the Legacy Standard Bible. I still read it every day, and I'll continue to do so. But also consider this as a pastor's plea to take the efforts of the Legacy Standard Bible translators and keep going. There's more work to be done there's always more work to be done in creating an accurate translation of God's Word. And the church should be in the habit of going farther up and farther in when it comes to Bible translation. So I say good work to the Legacy Standard Bible. I still recommend it to you all. And yet, I look forward to the updated Legacy Standard Bible. Mm -hmm.